Kaiju Network, where we have a healthy obsession with King Kong. I am your co-host, Kent, and with me is your other co-host. Jason, how's it going, everyone? As you may have noticed from my greeting for this particular show, uh, I said King Kong. Hence, we are going to be discussing King Kong, not just the original film, but the character. We're going to be discussing a little bit how he was conceived. And then more importantly, we're just going to kind of have a general discussion about movies and legacy and and things of that sort and uh with it being 90 years of king kong this is kong month so this episode it's a general discussion of kong two weeks from now we will have a commentary where we will be doing son of kong so you have that to look forward to uh in a couple of weeks for us Definitely. So as far as the uh, the housekeeping, uh, I'm guessing a lot of you know, but if you're the fir- uh, if you're here for the first time, if you see where the hell a, have you been? The subscribe button <laughs> down below, uh, wherever you're watching us, make sure to hit that subscribe button as well as uh, smash the like button as well. And uh, for any uh, everything Daikaiju Network, you can find us in one place at our link tree URL right there on the screen, uh, forward slash Daikaiju Network. Uh, as far as video platforms, besides obviously being on YouTube, we're also on uh, Twitch, Rumble, Facebook Live, and as well as Odyssey. And we're also um, on audio uh, platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, as well as TuneIn. And you can find both audio and video versions of all of our episodes at our own website at daikajunetwork.com. All right. So let's just get right to the meat and potatoes of it all. King Kong, happy birthday (laughs) to you. Happy birthday to... Ah, we're not going to finish this. But yes, 90 years. I mean, uh, you know, one could argue the original Daikaiju, unless you're going to count um, the dinosaurs from The Lost World from a few years earlier, and that stop-motion mm-hmm. animation uh, feature, which I could go either way. Uh, mm-hmm. But if you're talking about original Kaiju... Sure. One could even argue the moon with the face on it from, I think, what was it? First men on the moon or the uh, where the rocket the ship blasted that moon in the eye. Uh, it depends on what your definition of Kaiju is, but I would or the, say or it's that, either uh, the dinosaurs from Lost World or King Kong. Or that uh, giant creepy uh, pig from like one of the very first uh movies too back in the 1900s there i'll have to show i'll have to show you it's kind of creepy looking but (laughs) but nevertheless regardless you know kong is one of the ogs and for some Mm. of you he may be the og and so to kind of you know to give a little bit of an overview as far as how kong himself was conceived uh, as far as not just a character but even the original 1933 film uh kong basically is the creation of marion c cooper and ernest Shodsack. uh both men fought during world what what Nothing. was funny Nothing. well <laughs> you looked like you were laughing about something um but both men fought 
um, during World War One, and the two men in terms of physical stature couldn't be more different. Marion C. Cooper was uh, a, a minuscule guy. He was like 5'4 or something like that, not very tall. Ernest Shodesack was about 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, so uh, if you have this interesting dichotomy between the two of them and physical stature. Nevertheless, uh, Marion C. Cooper is kind of credited more than Ernest Shodesack uh, as far as being more of, of the creator behind Kong, mainly because Cooper himself was, by and large, a pretty fearless individual. Uh, there were a couple times during the First World War where he got shot down. He was a pilot. Uh, and even at one point, he got shot down. His plan landed over the border in the newly formed Soviet Union. And um, it has been described that after his plane landed in the newly formed Soviet Union, that he somehow not just physically figured his way out of the country and kind of back into Europe proper, but was able to just talk to other new Soviets and kind of avoid getting himself captured and, and to get out of the, so the newly formed Soviet Union. But also, uh, Cooper himself was very much an adventurer. He kind of fit into what you would consider the stereotypical uh, adventurer, Indiana Jones cowboy type of individual. He um, went on a, a number of expeditions um, by himself. He was someone who enjoyed uh, doing some things that could endanger his own life. Um, but after – Yes. Well, and and the other thing to, to add that Cooper himself became fascinated by uh, gorillas mm -hmm. at the age of six, too. So at a very young age and right around the uh, turn of the century, he was uh, given a book as far as explorations and adventures in Africa. So that's sort of where he kind of gets his sort of call, calling card in a way and kind of what you mentioned earlier as far as him being kind of like this Indiana Jones-esque type of uh, character I've seen some images even the one that I'm seeing here with him looking up at the uh, this giant animatronic con where he kind of has this fedora cap that can't, makes him look like Indiana Jones in a way mm-hmm and um, eventually uh, he made his way to California, and Ernest Shodesack, who was originally from Iowa, also made his way to California. Both men uh, were big into motion pictures, which, again, were still relatively new at the by time. the way. <laughs> yeah. And so um, what ended up happening is that um, – through uh, several different trips Cooper himself took at various locations across the globe of shooting actual wildlife and putting himself uh, and his crew at times in danger of certain uh, animals that, yeah, could have killed one or several of them. Uh, they, like you said, he was interested in, in gorillas. They decided, hey, why not have sort of this gorilla type film Um and do kind of a Beauty and the Beast type of thing. And and that idea of the Kong story came along after a while. It wasn't one of the earlier ideas that he had. Um, mm. It sort of, in my research, seemed a bit hazy as far as exactly how they came to the point of, hey, like, 
instead of like maybe shooting a real gorilla and trying to figure out some ways of compositing a real go- gorilla with other shots, they ended up doing stop motion. And I'll get to that here in a moment because that's an, obviously another big part of, of the whole Kong story. Um, but they decided to do this gorilla story. And um, they approach they realized through like the lost world and a couple other films that came out beforehand that uh, eventually stop motion was the way to go and they found willis o'brien willis o'brien himself was very much intrigued by gorillas i believe they even found uh, a handful of sketches that he had that involved gorillas and the like and so uh, it was sort of this blending between the three men that really helped to bring kong uh to life so to speak and i know i'm skipping over a lot of minutia and stuff but there's a lot of material out there you could either read or even watch in fact i know this dvd of king kong that i have from 2005 and probably i'm sure even now recent blu-ray releases have it it's a seven-part documentary series on the creation of kong and how the film came to be but um we're just going to kind of gloss over and kind of hit the basic points here but what ended up happening is that uh, several different variations of the script and story were made, and some people – one person I think even died. Uh, one of the scriptwriters I think even died at one point um, during the process, and several other people came in, and it ultimately Ernest showed Sack's wife – I think was kind of the final individual to write and prep the final script of, of King Kong. And uh, again, they ultimately went with Willis O'Brien to do stop motion. Um, the stop motion itself, the process of putting scenes together is absolutely incredible. Uh, not only mm-hmm. just the individual movements of the different creatures uh, during various shots, but at times there were composite shots where you have the live motion actors mixed in with the animatronic, uh, I mean, not the animatronic, but the armature puppets. Mm-hmm. You have occasional issues with some of the puppets, um, you know not working right either melting or just getting stiff because of the hot lights that were being used um there were times too where three different sets so to speak were made so you have a background matte painting plus the foreground where you would have your armatures and then sometimes you would have a glass pane where painted foliage and other minutia were put on to give this depth of a very luscious deep jungle that was very effective something that was so basic in terms of how it was put together yet time consuming obviously but something so simple to make it seem like you were in this vast jungle there were even um several different kong armatures made Mm -hmm. one with kind of the short face as they called it and then another one with a longer face uh as i'm sure if you've seen the movie enough times i noticed it myself many years back when i was watching this film after a few times you kind of notice like his face is a little bit different in in some of the shots Mm -hmm. then they built this big mechanical king kong the upper half and then a big Mm -hmm. kong hand and foot even even used in a few scenes so um yeah, and um, the movie 
obviously, uh, it was a huge hit in the early years of the Depression, despite the fact that uh, so many people were broke and, and poor and homeless. Uh, people flocked to go see this movie. You could argue it was one of the first major blockbuster pictures. The film was very expensive to make. I think they said it was 800 some odd thousand dollars, if I'm not mistaken, that let it me, cost to let me check make. Here. Uh, it was actually just a little over 670,000. 670,000. So here, I'll do research. Then, Let's see what that is in today's dollars. And then also after that, uh, do, uh, what, 5.3 million is for today's money because that is the, uh, the box office. And that was very, very good uh, for the time. I mean, obviously, the movie did mucho, mucho dinero. I mean, it was mm -hmm. very, very. Uh, let me see here. Nineteen. I'm trying to get the calc. Nineteen thirty-three. You said six hundred seventy thousand. Yep. See, that's sixty-seven. Okay, I think I got it right. I think I got. Okay, well, it can only do um, up to twenty twenty-two. So the budget approximately, let me put, okay, comma there and comma there. Oh, well, just a hair over, I guess, $15 million in terms of budget. Hmm. But um, that was very expensive, not just for the time, but even more expensive considering you're in the early stages of a depression. And then and then check uh, $5.3 as far as the box office, see what that – translates into today because that'd be a bit interesting to know if i do this okay i think hundred thousand okay i think i did that right all right so hundred be a hundred be approximately 119 million that ain't too bad yeah 119 million versus a, a budget that's the equivalent of a hair over 15 million in today's yeah. money. That is considered a big money maker. Mm -hmm. Very profitable. And uh, obviously, it would go on to spawn Sun Kong, which was like Godzilla raids again, very much yeah. rushed into production, yeah. brought and out within about six months later. <laughs> And yeah, the the ending results in a lot of people's minds is very lackluster. Although I would argue, I think Godzilla Raids again is a slightly superior sequel than something like Son of Kong. But um, nevertheless, there you have it. In in, in very much a nutshell, uh, kind of the creation and the result of King Kong. Again, I would recommend anybody if you got the 2005 DVD or one of the new Blu-rays. <clears throat> again, like I said, I would be very surprise if none of the new blu-ray releases of the 33 film didn't have mm -hmm. that documentary but watch that documentary and or go seek out some literature on the creation of the 33 film because it is absolutely incredible just there's so much other details uh, involved <laughs> and and the interesting uh, evolution of the story and this character and and just it, it's incredible it really is i think just as unique actually maybe even more interesting than the creation of the original godzilla and then they just uh, recently been doing uh, an exhibit an exhibit of uh, king Kong here just for the 90th anniversary and i think it was just 
they were doing one nearby you. If, yeah, if I I'm found correct. I yeah, it was in Ypsilanti, Michigan, which is like a 45 minute drive from here. <clears throat> I didn't know it until the final couple days and then the those final days we had an ice storm here. So I couldn't go. So I missed I didn't even know it and it was up here for a month. <laughs> I I'm pissed that I missed that. I'm gonna if I would have known that was there, yeah, I would have gone to go see that. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to take a look, see if there's, like, there has to be some kind of website as far as the uh, the exhibit, and then check to see. You know what? It's time for some, uh, uh, an, another edition of uh, research here. <laughs> we got to have a theme song that we play as we're doing it. So King but, Kong uh, yeah, exhibit. But yeah, um, this character is the the creation of the original film is something very unique one of the interesting things you will find too on that seven part documentary is that peter jackson and his crew when they were in the very early stages of doing their king kong film they wanted to recreate a little bit of what o'brien did with kong actually using stop motion they created their own kong armature from replicas of original plans that were drawn up by o'brien to create the armature and some of the results are very stunning like the stop motion is so smooth you would even wonder if it was computer generated and it's very mm. interesting and unique <laughs> what they did and, and peter jackson regardless of what you think about uh some of his movies he's a very meticulous uh filmmaker that that really tries to understand the source material that uh, he's going after, especially if he's doing something like the Lord of the Rings, Hobbit, and and King Kong uh, stories uh, from a material that was made uh, beforehand already. Um, and one of the things, in fact, now that I think about it, I might as well bring it out and show it. Um, I ha sadly have not delved into this yet, but this is um, an incredible um thing that i found year and a half two years ago it's king kong peter jackson's production diaries it's peter jackson loves to also document production of his own uh films and stuff too uh this is an incredible uh set here um wow like box and box so here's a certificate of authenticity um for the King Kong diaries here. And I think, oh, and then, yeah, a bunch of photos that follow, uh, painted photos. I'm for not going to take all those out. For those that are listening to us via audio, it's like the, the whole uh, King Kong, Peter Jackson King Kong uh, thing that Kent has just comes in in a suitcase like sort of box which like is a chest cool. almost except yeah. it's cardboard um and this is really fun here's <laughs> this but guess what it's not a notepad per se although here there's a big booklet on day 15 like it's a day-by-day -day shooting schedule with some posters <laughs> but it's a couple of dvd discs <laughs> of the actual like production and putting together nice of jackson's um king kong and um again you know i would pick this up 
because if you're a Kong fan, if you can find something like this within your price range, and I was able to find a reasonable, and as you guys have seen, like this is a set that's in pretty good shape. Um, I pick it up and um as we will discuss a little bit later i am a huge fan of his version of king kong here but which, um which i'm sort of a bit disappointed where a lot of people are sort of the overall or average response to his film has been a bit mediocre at best yeah, I guess my, since we're already discussing and touching upon it a little bit, might as well kind of dive into that one a little bit, if not entirely. Yeah, um, <clears throat> really the main complaint I've heard from most fans is that the film is too long. Um, I will say that to a certain degree, there is some validity in that complaint, but I would argue myself personally that I don't feel those three hours a whole yeah. lot because I am so immersed into the world. And in fact, I've always said this, um, and I've said it numerous times on this podcast over the years, and it's probably sacrilegious to a lot of people. I find Peter Jackson's King Kong to be better than the original. And in fact, I would go and say it's the best King Kong movie so far. And I think, too, with the amount of time as far, you know, the whole runtime, I think it's also does its job as far as fleshing out the individual characters themselves to kind of know to know them personally in certain aspects of the film, kind of their motives, where they come from, and and all that sort of thing. Even some of the side characters, which we won't see for too long in a film, <laughs> for that instance. And it's, and I think that kind of that's the one thing about uh, Peter Jackson's film is that he really dives into a lot of the characters. Even Khan himself, you kind of tend to get to relate to. Uh, the character more than you would with the other past movies. I mean, compared to the like the seventies and eighties <laughs> version. The, I always cry though at the end of King Kong Lives because of how yeah. bloody his death is, and the fact that he dies right as his son is right. being, that that always even as yeah. a kid got well, me. Like I hated that. Well, his his son was born, but then he's like dies right in front of him there, along with uh, Lady Kong. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I just, I even as a kid, I remember like when we would see that movie on Stars or we would rent the movie. Um, I it was hard for me to watch even as a kid, and it's just as hard for me to watch that particular part of that movie as well. But we'll get to King Kong Lives in just a moment. Let's put Peter Jackson's Kong aside uh, for a moment as well. So, you know, we dove a little bit into it, but we're kind of all over the place. Um, <laughs> let's kind of do, let's kind of go in order in terms of movie release, kind of briefly do a little discussion on some of the films and then wrap everything up with kind of Kong's legacy and kind of where he stands now and, and all that. But um uh, like I said earlier, about six months later, uh, Son of Kong reached theaters, did pretty well financially, not as much as King Kong, mm -hmm. but uh, as we will discuss here in a couple weeks, a pretty underwhelming entry uh, within the Kongverse. Um, 
I've seen yeah. this movie a, a number of times, and um, I, I, I will say that it's a unique story in the follow-up of the aftermath of King Kong. But the unfortunate aspect is that that particular part of the story involving Denim and having all these lawsuits, mm-hmm. it, it's very short. And I yeah. would argue they spend way too much time on this one location uh, involving some uh, secondary characters that, yes, will come into play later, but building up some characters that are not very well written, uh, doing some other things that really lull the movie. And once you get back to Skull Island, the amount of time you spend there, I think, is like 10 or so minutes of this very short movie. And while the action scenes there are really good, the fact that this was rushing to production, as it shows in many areas, it makes for a very dull type of film, sadly. Yeah. Uh, little Kiko, as uh, the baby Kong is called sometimes, uh, is very cute. He's very animated. It's, ve- it's more goofy uh, than what you would get from the original Kong. I find it uh, funny, though. There's one, if not two, scenes where... I don't know if they realize it or not that at the time, but Kiko's flipping them off. Yeah. And, and even flipping, I think, even the audience off at, at times. I find that kind of funny. Yeah. Um, but and, and it's a, also and it's also pretty interesting, too, that they sort of went with a uh, an albino uh, gorilla, whereas Kong, he's just I mean, and it has that blackish brown fur and and everything. I don't know how jeans and gorillas work. I don't know if it's sort of kind of George. kind of a uh, I don't know how to specifically say it. Uh, like some kind of um, genetic sort of thing that happens. I don't know, but uh, we never know uh, specifically what goes on behind the scenes i mean <laughs> but uh but yeah as he far as rampage character yeah <laughs> maybe maybe uh maybe kiko is the grandfather or father to george <laughs> in rampage. no because because skull island ends up going into the ocean sadly <laughs> but uh yeah as far as the budget since we've talked about how rushed that this uh sequel was the budget for this one was around two hundred and sixty nine thousand dollars and then as far as the box office goes it was at uh six hundred sixteen thousand dollars so very steep drop yeah very very steep but drop. here's the thing and, and it even made less in the box office compared to the budget that the first movie has that uh, received. But here's the thing, and this is something that tends to get buried an awful lot when it comes to the discussion of how poorly Son of Kong did in relation to King Kong. <coughs> I got oh, <coughs> got a hair in my throat or something. Um, the thing that keeps getting forgotten is that even while Son of Kong was released in theaters and playing. Guess what? So still was King Kong. Mm-hmm. King Kong had has had one of the longest theatrical runnings uh, 
of all time. It was in theaters for years consecutively. And I think and that hurt Son of Kong because yeah, people would go and see a sequel, but I think once they realized, okay, it's not quite like King Kong, you're getting more action with King Kong, why not just go and see that one again? And you know, it's not like today where a movie's in theaters for like three months and then it's gone. And then like two years down the road, approximately, you get a sequel. And that original movie obviously has been out of theaters for about two years. Mm. During the times before televisions and home video and streaming and, and all that, you would get some movies that would perpetually play in theaters. They would play in theaters maybe a couple months if they were – mediocre films as far as financial uh, results went. Others like King Kong that were very popular and continue to make a lot of money were in theaters really up until it was decided, okay, this isn't really making much money anymore to keep it in theaters. I mean, they decided, let's throw Son of Kong while our original movie's still playing in theaters. Yeah, I don't know. I, I guarantee you if, if they had pulled the original Kong and thrown Son of Kong out, Son of Kong would have done better. It wouldn't have done King Kong numbers. I am almost sure of that, but it would have done better. But I mean, if 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 that's sort of the route that they went, maybe just – I don't know if they had the, the double billing sort of uh, thing back in the day um, or have it be in the same theater. I'm not sure exactly what – happen there because i mean if uh if the original movie was in theaters for years you would have thought to have seen at least posters of son of Khan along with the king uh the king Kong posters side by side there but not entirely sure if a lot of people just went to that movie and then if there's any uh, other movies during that time that were pretty good and just this thing just sort of got buried or if it had limited releases in select theaters who knows my understanding is that double billing did not really become a thing until the 50s uh, because you're talking post-war era economic boom uh, baby boomers are coming along and and are very young kids, that's when you get a lot of these major theater companies or motion picture companies like Warner Brothers and MGM. They create a bunch of smaller studios that create those B sci-fi horror films that end up becoming very cheap to make but yet are very popular and are pretty decent money makers for these studios. And That's kind of when, too, you have the drive-ins as well and you, that's how you get, uh, you know, double if not even triple billing uh, coming into vogue is from the post-war era because America was rebuilding and was being owed a bunch of money from you know allied countries and then the rest of the globe itself was uh, recovering from World War II. So mm-hmm. um, it. It was the result of that. Not to mention, too, uh, something that is worth noting is that in the late 40s, that's when the UFO boom happened as well because a Roswell happened in the late Mm. 40s. And that's kind of when science fiction films really took off um, as well. And that's why the 50s and you know, throughout most of the 60s as well, you have a lot of alien and 
flying saucer type of films. Mm-hmm. Excuse me as well. Yeah. But, so, but yeah, um, I don't want to dive too much into Son, Son of Khan because in a couple of weeks we're going to be commenting on that and sort of give our two cents on that. And then plus, ten years ago when we did the uh, the 80th first, uh, anniversary of King Khan, I think we sort of around that time kind of gave our two cents on it. I don't know if maybe one of these times uh, <laughs> uh, revisit it if if we want some sometime down the road. But uh, yeah, why don't we uh, move on to your sort of uh, uh, favorite <laughs> movie here, the uh, the 1976 uh, Wait a minute, are we, King we're, Kong film. We're glossing over two films. We're glossing over King Kong versus Godzilla and King Kong Escapes. Well, why don't we why don't we just kind of go with the American versions here first? All right, <laughs> seventy six Kong. Um, I understand for boomers, especially those that uh, were kind of in their twenties and what have you, uh, when this film came out. I can understand this being a a uh, what's the term? Sort of a hallmark film mm-hmm. for you. Uh, I get it. I mean, I, I probably have a film that I consider to be a hallmark movie for me that m- another generation would be like, really that, um, yeah. but personally, yeah, the 76 Kong movie, um, to try to be as objective as possible with it, it was a decent attempt at trying to remake the King Kong story for what was at that time the contemporary period. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think uh, Charles Grodin, I love that actor, rest in peace. Uh, I love that actor an awful lot. He plays an incredible villain mm-hmm. uh, in that movie and in other films too, like the original Muppet movie. Um, in Beethoven was, movies. <laughs> he was a good guy in the Beethoven movies. Yeah. Um, but um, it was a, a unique attempt. The Kong suit, and I think, was it Rick Baker who did uh, the Kong suit and, and the special effects for that film? I don't remember. Um, let's see here. I don't dive into that movie a whole lot for obvious reasons. <laughs> but let me, let me check. And it, well, while Jason's looking yeah, that Rick, up. Uh, Rick Baker, he... Uh, he plays as King Kong the Super. I thought so, but I wasn't sure about that. And then uh, Peter Peter Cullen, the voice of Optimus Prime, he did the voice of Khan. Huh. They, I did not I know that. that. To, I bet that made the throat sore after a few My days. name is Optimus Prime. My name is King Kong. <laughs> I am in love with you, blonde hair lady. <laughs> um, but... I think the Kong suit and, and the animatronics within the face and all that, I think it's very well done. Uh, I think mm. some of the, uh, the scenery is done pretty well. In a few spots, it looks bland. The, the um, one scene where he's being brought in, kind of in that huge tall cage where he's standing there and then wearing the crown. And a couple of those uh, shots there, it's, the animatronic is a, quite stiff in a way. I think, if I am not mistaken, that was a life-size built animatronic for that yeah. scene. That scene is so goofy as well. I mean, oh, you yeah. put him in this, he's just like that. He's just like standing there. Body. Yeah, yeah and just... they put an actual crown on him, and it's yeah. he's 
confined on a gas pump display because it's this oil company uh, you know mm-hmm. that wanted to go to Skull Island because they think they discovered oil and of course they do find out that there is oil on the on Skull Island as well but it, it's so 1970s because it, it, it encapsulates the oil crises that was happening if not about to happen at that point in time and um it's sort of a, a funny thing to see uh, for that time period, but um, the fight with the snake Kong ends up having on Skull Island, pretty There's, dull. It yeah, should have been more amusing. <laughs> and then on top of that, too, to me, the the biggest problem with the film is that there just aren't a whole lot of other creatures featured. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would have been nice to see Kong go up against maybe two other creatures at least to also have some other creatures uh, attack our heroes as well. Um, Jeff Bridges, I think, is a pretty good actor in the film. Um, gosh, the lady's name. Who Jessica played- Lane. Jessica Lang, yes. I, for many years, did not like her in the movie because I thought she was playing very ditzy and just stupid. And I always had a negative opinion of her through the lens of this movie. <laughs> and I still don't care for her character. Every time I watch this movie, I'm like, Kong, just hold her like this and then go. <laughs> <laughs> I just. I don't care for her in this movie, and um, I don't know. I I, I just don't care for her character. And the one thing that sort of stands out for me when it comes to this film is the poster itself. I mean, if you've seen the poster with Khan where he's just like standing in between. Straddling. Like straddling on the Twin Towers, both the Twin Towers, where he has one leg on one of the Twin Towers and then a leg on the other two. But it's like, if you if you were alive up to the point, I mean, you would know the distance in between when the two towers were still up. <laughs> Not just there. that. They could have made Kong that size if they wanted to, but they didn't because even in the movie, he goes from one of the towers and jumps over to mm-hmm. the other one. And I'm like, that's not the Kong on the poster. Yeah. That's false but advertising. Then with the sheer size of how they display Kong on this poster as well, it's it's a lot of size sizing issues <laughs> with this poster. And then and then for whatever reason, I don't even know what the hell he's holding on. It looks like a freaking spaceship or something. I thought, this- yeah, I was like, when I was growing up and I, I thought it was a train. I thought he was holding a train. I thought I thought it was some sort of really crazy looking spaceship from outer space. I bet even like, the artist doesn't know. Yeah, it's like I don't even know where you come up with this when it's not even in the movie. And and also it's like it's a Santa Claus looking con <laughs> that they make cuz like the the belly on con here makes him look really fat. Well, you know, it's still kind of during that period in which when you look at some of the classic Godzilla posters, how goofy some of those were, uh, not just from Japan, but even for U.S. releases or even international release, how so many of them from Germany 
included the name Frankenstein. And yeah. um, I mean, it, <laughs> I, I mean, it's so goofy. And that's one of the fa- that's one of the fabulous things I have grown to love more about movie posters as I've gotten older with older movies, because I'm like, that thing is so hyperbolic. Like, that didn't happen in the movie or that's not the actual size of this character or this makes it seem like it's more entertaining. I mean, I'm so fascinated by old movie posters of like monster movies and sci-fi films and stuff because they always, most of the time exaggerate something about that particular film and the 76 Kong really, even though the movie, yeah, I mean, it's, it's an older film. It's what 40, going on 47 or something like that now uh, um, yeah, yeah going on 47 years old now yeah, for a film that's not quite 50 it still kind of plays into that whole notion of we're gonna give you something really grand but in the movie it's not exactly <laughs> like yeah. that but the movie um overall it plays too long uh, i'm underwhelmed by it because i think the movie People complain about the runtime of the Peter Jackson Kong at being three hours for just the theatrical version. This movie is about two and a half hours, and I really, every time I watch it, feel every aching second that this movie is on because it's so pathetically slow and part of it is because it's a movie of the times the mm-hmm. 70s were a very pessimistic time and a lot of that stems from what was going on with the vietnam war and then on top of that as well the economic boom period uh was basically coming to a close uh as well and pollution was running rampant throughout cities people were getting sick from smog and all sorts of stuff crime um and then government corruption as well people were very cynical about their government and you get this from a lot of films in the 70s most films in the 70s probably ran longer than they needed to and as a result were very ponderous in their pacing when they didn't really need to be and this king kong movie is no exception to that and it's to me a dull underwhelming film that while it has a fantastic realization of king kong and jeff bridges is a pretty fun actor to watch along with charles groden everything else is just meh and i've seen the film probably a grand total of six or eight times over the course of my life and it's just it's an underwhelming movie to me Mm -hmm. yeah so yeah it's it's an okay movie it's something that i wouldn't uh uh you know go out of my way to watch every time it's just something that if i had the feeling to maybe watch once in a great while i probably would and and it's sort of the same thing with uh king kong lives um here um with it being made 10 years after um the 1976 remake although they kind of make it like it was right after because it sort of goes it starts off uh, right after uh, 
where the 1976 movie uh, ends, where they have uh, Kong kind of in this uh, facility uh, in Atlanta. How they drag yeah, so, Kong from New York all the way to Atlanta, <laughs> and uh, they do uh, surgery on him, re- uh, adding in a an artificial heart in that regard, and then sort of brings him back to life <laughs> in a way. Here's the thing about this movie. I like it more than the 76 film, but I will freely admit King Kong Lives is a very problematic movie when it comes to uh, logistics and um, elements of plot, meaning that, okay, it's funny that they happen to have – they happen to keep Kong alive long enough after he fell from the Twin Towers that, yeah, should have killed him instantly, but yet he's able to barely survive long enough for them to put together this massive artificial heart, which was brand new technology at the time. Even then, artificial hearts at best could keep a person alive for maybe a few months at best. So they put together this gigantic artificial heart and when even when you do something like this to a person you need some blood transfusion because a person's going to lose a fair amount of blood right Mm -hmm. the tools they would need to kind of keep the creature alive while they're while they're removing and placing in the heart and then to put more blood in him as they're finishing up where would they have found the other blood, right? Because mm-hmm. in the movie, they don't discover Lady Kong until more or less after the fact. Now, granted, maybe I'm getting a few things mixed up because it has been a while since I've um, seen this film as well. But um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's a film that plays loose with the plot at, at points. Yeah, so as you're uh, going on as far as the, the blood transfusion, I, I was reading up on here that as far, as far as the plot goes that they were talking about how Khan was losing a lot of blood and that they needed blood um, okay. badly. Now, so then uh, that, uh, that they couldn't find another species with the same blood type matching Khan. And then however, however, that's sort of where they've find this one guy that was uh, keeping an eye on what would be lady Khan. Yeah. It, it's, it's a silly movie. I mean, I, I and look, we're a podcast basically about silly movies yeah. <laughs> and King Kong lives is, is almost diametrically opposite of mm-hmm. the 76 film. And I think that's pretty good because that 76 film, as I just mentioned a moment ago, is very dull in my opinion. And King Kong lives. Yeah. You can rightfully bash it for a lot of issues, but it's a more entertaining film mm-hmm. uh, than that 76 film. And it moves along fast enough to where you're by and large entertained most of the time. I get a little queasy anymore watching that operation at the beginning of that, the movie again. And that, that, and, and then when he like, uh, snaps, uh, one of the, uh, like guys, bad guys yeah. <laughs> in half and then eating the other half of one dude that, that sort of also grosses me out. In a bit. I get disturbed by that 
apart more yeah. than anything else. But yeah, like the whole surgery thing grosses me out. Um, and then, of course, like I said, at the be- at the ending of the film, I get really like sad. I mean, again, they just I'm like, damn it, Dino De Laurentiis. Like, why do you have to like like I understand. Yes, you got to kill him or whatever and you use tanks and whatever but do you have to have it to where he just gushes blood all over the place and just gets the living snot kicked out of him like i and then he dies right in front of his kid and it just like i said for years that always bugged me I, I just I still even thinking about it right now I'm almost on the verge of tears because it's such a sad moment like and it then, just it gets me basically every time and then as far as the poster goes for this one this one is far more action packed than what's actually shown in the movie it just it sure sort of reminds me some kind of a, a Rambo-esque <laughs> Type of poster That's one with, of the versions of the poster with a lot of explosions in, uh, and then on this poster, it sort of has kind of a weird uh, tagline for it. Is it goes by "America's biggest hero is back, and he is not happy." <laughs> <laughs> Well, Dino De Laurentiis was very much – I mean you could get into a whole podcast about him, but he was a very exaggerated, hyperbolic individual himself. And then – I mean you could even get into the whole rights issue involving King Kong and how De Laurentiis himself was not only able to make the first – Kong movie, but even this film and how pl- problematic it was with the legal issues with licensing and crap. I'm not going to get into that because you're better off going to read that elsewhere because I'm not a lawyer and it gets so complicated. Not to mention, I didn't even do any research on that for this podcast anyway. Is because to me, I didn't think that was important for this, but um, <laughs> it, and then it would just be a really it's long in and of itself. Yeah, it, it would just be a really long podcast, yeah. <laughs> almost rivaling the year end <laughs> special, the longest so, ever. Yeah, so it's a badge so, of honor. So, with oh, that, uh, what's that? Hey, I'm not, hey, I'm not fully properly dressed for this. <laughs> To me, that that seems a little bit overdressed. <laughs> so, it's, it's real stuff. So, so we're kind of uh, getting back to the uh, the 2005 uh, con here. After was it about uh, close to 20 years after uh, the King Con Lives movie? So this is kind of you can say more or less a proper version of uh of a king kong movie practically going back to kind of kind of the the original story with the original characters from the, the 1933 uh movie here and uh and i think peter jackson with with how he's done with the the original lord of the reigns trilogy where he just sort of recently uh came off of the whole success of that trilogy and going into King Kong here. I think he's, he was a perfect fit to direct and uh, make this 
remake of the 1933 version of King Kong and bringing it back to more of a modernized retelling of the character himself. Yeah, I mean, again, for the umpteenth time again, this is not only my favorite King Kong movie, I truly believe it is the best King Kong movie. The 33 – look, I'm not taking anything away from the 33 film or any of the others, well, except for maybe the 76 one. Uh, but the 33 one, look, I mean it really was a groundbreaker for filmmaking of the time period, and many films would go on to do similar things with what that movie – I'm not trying to take anything away from that movie. It's a blockbuster. It is one of the most uh, one of one of the more cornerstone type of films in the history of cinema, and it rightfully deserves to be there. Just like Jurassic Park uh, deserves to be a cornerstone film as well because of the technological advances at that time, plus the representation of the dinosaurs mm-hmm. for that film as well. But Peter Jackson's film, I think does the 33 film better um Mm -hmm. you can i know some people didn't think jack black belonged there for a while i thought the same thing same same with me too yeah but the more i've watched the film the more i realize the character of carl denham fits jack black and what he's able to do very well a very weaselly sniveling on man and he does a pretty good job i once in a great while when i watch the movie i get a little off with him but the more i've watched the movie over the years the more i truly believe jack black was a very good choice for carl denham uh adrian brody i would say that's a bit of an off yeah choice too but yeah i was sort of the same way too when it came to adrian brody because it seemed like he didn't quite fit um in with the movie or i just my mind just didn't quite go along with him being part of this movie but i think as years go by i think my mind sort of is starting to accept him being part um of this movie but i don't don't know what the deal is but just at first i've just wasn't sure like if maybe find someone that could be maybe portraying a little bit better within this movie so here's the thing i think i figured out what the problem we have with adrian brody with this movie his jack driscoll is a playwright in this version and i think he comes off very well as a guy who's would be a playwright here's the thing though when you look at Adrian Brody and you look at his physical stature, you don't think of him as a hero. You don't think of him as someone that go, is going to be swinging a sword, shooting a gun, swinging from vine to vine, being the hero to save the day. On top of that, too, similar – like if you've seen the end of the movie Predators, he is bulked up and he more or less performs an Arnold Schwarzenegger type of – combat sequence with the predator in in the end of that movie it's basically because brody himself through choices in his acting career but also let's face it just because of how he looks in his stature even if he bulks himself up like he did in predators he doesn't come off 
as this action hero. And part of that is our fault because mm-hmm. we have been fed and as a result led to believe your heroes are your Stallones, your Schwarzeneggers, your Van Dams, and- your Lundgrens, all that stuff. And a, a scrawny guy like Adrian Brody, who's Jack Driscoll as a playwright, is not going to be adventuresome. You and, may have a point to some extent, but and that's why I would have thought with uh, Kyle Chandler, who was also in this movie, <laughs> which we'll sort of revisit him again uh, soon enough. Uh, but uh, yeah, with him, with Kyle Chandler being in a movie, you would think with his stature and kind of that whole nineteen um, thirty esque esque appearance kind of what you're talking about you would think that he would have been um kind of that sort of person to fit the the role of uh, driscoll yeah i think he maybe would have but again similar to jack black the more i watch the movie the more i buy into brody it still is a bit off but to me it's not off so much to the point to where I think it to me, it's not like it would be like, let's say, Steve Buscemi playing as He-Man in the 87 <laughs> Masters of the Universe, like <laughs> something like that. That's something that would totally and forever take me out of that movie if that had happened. <laughs> but yeah. it's, you know, it, it's it's not an like I said, it's not a lot to it's not enough to like get me out of the movie and just be like, I do not buy this. I do not buy. It. That's not it. But the realization of Kong in this film, too, I think is spectacular because this is the first time in the history, and I think even since uh, this Peter Jackson film, that Kong is more gorilla. He spends an awful lot of his time on his fours rather Mm -hmm. than being upright like he is for a vast majority of these other films. Um, And I love the fact, too, that this is a Kong that has visibly been not just around for a long time, but weathered, been in fights, scarred, beat, well, and that and sort then, of thing. Well, and with the, the Skull Island environment, which the movie itself does really great to kind of tell uh, the story of the island itself and kind of see the environment. Even the villagers in this one, you kind of tell with the villagers, how they react, how they're portrayed, and just with the environment of Skull Island 2, it sort of matches with how this version of Khan looks. That is the biggest issue I have with this movie, is the portrayal of the villagers in this film. I... I remember when we watched it in theaters, and every time I watch it now, this is the biggest problem I have with I Peter Jackson's was, King Kong. Are the villagers? Yeah, I, I was sort of, I was sort of bit, I was sort of disappointed with how uh, they betrayed the villagers within this one. It's like it just seems like it, like it wouldn't be, like I don't know how, uh, like with. How they wanted them to betray the villagers, it just seems off-putting in a way, like with uh, Colin Skull Island, which we'll get to here in a bit. I think that was a more of an appropriate portrayal of the villagers. Yeah, here's the th- – here, like I said, 
to me, the villagers in Peter Jackson's film are portrayed as stereotypical savages. But I would even go so far as as a result of that stereotype, it's probably borderline, if not outright racist, um, because this is a portrayal uh, that was going on, you know, in older films. You could even argue to some degree the islanders or villagers in the 33 film were portrayed in a very stereotypical uh african-american way that most whites thought blacks were during that time i don't have an issue with the villagers being people who are like you know um not really beaten down but sort of like on edge on living on this island with not just a giant ape but giant creatures of all sorts as well but to the part where they end up being so savage and violent to me makes no sense and just doesn't fit not just because of what's come before but it just doesn't make sense either in terms of what you would want for something like that in a film like this because to the villagers are a nice bridge from your common man, the let's just go ahead and say it, the white guys visiting the island to coming on to Skull Island. The villagers sit in the middle where they're kind of that bridge connecting the two. In the original Kong movie, they help to set up in a roundabout way who Kong is to some degree. Some degree. They help tease the audience more of what he's like and what he is. Here, that's not it. These villagers more or less are like demented slashers, but they don't I can, fit. I can sort of understand because kind of on their part on uh, Skull Island here where they used to have some kind of civilization, but then that part of Skull Island somehow just – like you can see when the buildings and stuff during the time whenever they were built and then the land itself like you can see huge like frictions of the earth and like large chunks of it have broken off or fallen into the ocean like there could have been some sort of thing that had happened back in the history of skull island where something probably catastrophic on that part of the island sort of happened majorly with this part of the the land where the villagers were on and then maybe being bombarded with like a lot of these creatures i mean you can probably sort of maybe understand how they started become part of who they became now we're like with a lot of um, psychological things happening to them, both nature and things that have happened over the years, like with civilization collapse, that like sort of mad, mad, madman sort of mindset starts to come in and play, which can, I would say, sort of makes sense in a way, but. 
No, yeah, I mean, I have no disagreement with the fact that living on an island like that where mm-hmm. uh, weather conditions and then living on this island that, yeah, like you said, probably has earthquake activity maybe, uh, but then more than anything else has all these giant prehistoric creatures on it, even though it looks like they have them contained for the most part. Um, yeah, there's no doubt in my mind that living on a place like that would kick the crap out of you, of course. My biggest problem is just it makes – to me, it makes no sense that a group of people like that would turn savage against other people. That just doesn't make sense to me because this looks like um, – a group of people who have been on an island and it seems as if no one else from the outside world has come and visited them. Like it doesn't seem like they've had contact with the modern world and it, it just doesn't make sense with them but, behaving that way towards other people. I can see them being depressed and striving to get food and just – being on edge because they're living on an island with dinosaurs and Kong, like that can mess with your mind. But to be savages t- to other people, to me, that's kind of where it, it cor- crosses a line. But I think it it also makes sense now that I think when it comes to like an, an actual uh, situation that's uh, currently um, – does exist where i don't know if you heard this one island that's just maybe um close to either was it india or bang uh bang bangladesh where this island is part of india where it's called sentinel island where you have um a tribe there that really has not really had any contact at all and there are some people that have tried to try to make some contact but <laughs> they they actually got killed by some some of these uh, uh, tribal people on this one lone small island there. And I've have watched some videos on it. It's pretty interesting in a way, but it sort yeah, of well, makes sense in a way. Yeah, and maybe so. I, I just I, I guess maybe for this specifically Kong story. The villagers have played a key transition in helping the outside white folk kind of get connected with Kong, and that's not the role that they play here. Um, And like I said, to me, it's disturbing because I think the portrayal is a stereotype of black people, which also is borderline racist, and I have a little bit of an issue with that portrayal i I think like i said i have no problems if you want to have these people on edge because of the conditions that they live with but to make them like they did i I think just being violent and killing people and and to me is a bridge too far for for what they're for what the kong story uh is about yeah so why don't we move on by the, oh, by the way, there's one thing I really want to hit upon the, the Jackson Kong that I think is very, very, very important. It is the connecting of the audience with Kong and Anne's relationship with Kong. Uh, the No other Kong movie, and maybe the 76 film was about the closest thing, and even then it didn't do it as well as what Peter Jackson did in terms of <laughs> – 
you have obviously Anne being frightened and wanting nothing to do, obviously, with this 25-foot ape. But then over the course of the movie, you begin to realize, and she begins to realize, that Kong, with her specifically, and maybe because it is she is a blonde, I don't know, but uh, he means her no harm, um, that he loves her and he just wants to be with her, and he's going to do everything he can, including risking his life numerous times, to protect her, and and you get to see that better it's because it's over a period of three hours i think it's done very very well it is gradual you start off with this uh with Anne being frightened and wanting nothing to do with kong to slowly like by movie's end she does love kong in the sense of like this is a sweet animal that yeah like anyone else or any other animal you push the right buttons, you're going to piss them off. And yeah, bad things are going to happen. And it's other people's fault that this is going on. Or even in the case of Skull Island proper, it's other dinosaurs' fault that you know, like they're coming after Anne and or Kong at the same time. But I love this relationship and how it's moves along how it progresses and changes over the course of the movie and one of one of my favorite shots of the movie is on skull island i think it's after like the big vestastasaur fights they go to the top and i think it's by his lair and they see the sun setting and he Kong puts Anne down, and you get this nice James Newton Howard score uh, playing in the background. And, you know, Kong just goes, meaning beautiful. And it's it's so, like, it brings tears to my eyes because you see Kong. He's, he's not really a violent dude. This is a guy who was in an environment that just happens to be violent, and in order to survive, he's had to do the same. Mm-hmm. But you can tell – he, he's not a bad dude. And one of my other favorite uh, scenes of the film is when they're in New York City and he and Anne are sliding along this pond in Central Park. And one of my favorite uh, pieces of music by James Newton Howard for this movie plays and they're having fun, uh, Kong and Anne, sliding around on this frozen pond and hitting snowbanks and things like that. Like It almost brings tears to my eyes because it's so lovely because you realize here are two individuals. It's not love like in a husband and wife sort of thing. Don't be going there if you're some type of pervert. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talk- It's like a love you would have for like a really good friend or a beloved pet. And it's, it's, there's this respect and this um, love that you have for that other individual. And then it gets me. People had talked about how Kong, uh, when he dies at the 33 film, some people cried and maybe they did. To me, I don't cry on that one because the way it's uh, portrayed, it's not played out like that. But here it's played out in a way to where – You've gotten to know Kong. You get to know Kong more in this movie than maybe just about any other Kong movie ever. And you see the evolution of his and Anne's relationship, and you realize this dude is not some type of 
violent individual. That's not who he is at his core. And when he gets shot up on top of the Empire State Building, thankfully not in a bloody way, but it's it's so sad how it's portrayed. It it gets me to tears. I you know I cry at the end of King Kong Lives, and I cry at the end of this film (laughs) when he gets shot up, and you see and. In the final moments when he's on top of the Empire State Building, there's this moment where like Anne's standing in front of him and he's just kind of hunkered over part of the top there because he's been shot up so much. And it mm-hmm. looks like they're about ready to have a moment. Like I think they're about ready to touch or something like that. Something but then a like plane that, yeah. comes in and shoots like a number of more bullets in his back and he just kind of grimaces a little bit more. And then you just start to see this look in his face, like the life is going out. I'm starting to tear up a little bit as I'm talking about this. Um, And he gets shot up, and then he just slumps off the building, and you see him in slow motion fall down. Oh, my gosh. I mean, you talk about heartbreaker. I mean, even my son Lincoln is at a point where he hates the ending to King Kong Lives, and he hates the ending to this Peter Jackson one because both endings disturb him as well. I mean, it gets me every time. And Peter Jackson did one hell of a job with getting the audience to know Kong better and getting the audience to understand the relationship between Anne and Kong better to where you get that connection better here than any other Kong film made before or after. I mean, I will go to my grave defending that part of this film. So now let's jump on to 2017. Oh, and I got one more thing. No, <laughs> Let's just move on. Let's just... <laughs> I know I'm messing around. <laughs> So uh, moving on to 2017's Con Skull Island, whereas uh, this one, it's pretty interesting how they set the setting for this con to be around uh, the Vietnam War uh, times. It's just, it's part of the, the whole monsterverse, whereas but the, the two Godzilla films where they're kind of set in the modern times, but this one is a, the only film in the monster verse where it's just telling its story kind of back back in time to, to get to uh get a better sto- uh story and set up con himself and to kind of show him uh not just as maybe like a 50 foot or 25 foot uh gorilla but more as a like a hundred some odd foot uh, creature and still growing just at a at a young age and everything leading up to um, the next film after this one. But with Con Skull Island here, it seems with this one you get more of a of a history or more of a backstory telling of the island itself compared to uh, the other past films. Although the Peter Jackson one also does a detailed uh, backstory of of uh, Skull, Island, Skull Island itself here. And with this one too, you get newer creatures in here. It's, it's sort of sort of a retelling but a more of a 
newer, fresher take on uh, the character itself. Um, different telling, different characters this time with especially being in uh, Vietnam War times uh, here. Yep. And then you have uh, newer creatures as far as the, the skull crawlers in this one. Instead of just your traditional dinosaurs and everything, you get a little bit more of the mutated um, weird-looking kaiju in this one this time. Although you sort of get some of the traditional ones when it came to the the giant octopus uh in one of the scenes in this film but you get newer really odd looking creatures in uh con skull island yeah i um and again i might be stepping on some people's toes but this is what I truly think about the film. Uh, I've, I've seen a lot of people who say they really love this movie and some even think it's the best of the MonsterVerse. Um, I can understand to some degree why some people believe that. I do think the cast in this movie is pretty darn good for the most part. Uh, it's not, in my opinion, 100% like superb acting, but it's pretty darn close. Um and the cast, in terms of like, you got John Goodman, Brie Larson, um, Tom Samuel Hills, L. Jackson, Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, I'm sure I'm probably forgetting like a couple other people. Um, yeah, it's a very good cast. However, um, and I don't have a problem actually with the film not being a retread of the 30s film. I, I, I think part of it is because we got that relatively recently with Peter Jackson's mm-hmm. Kong. Uh, you would get, get people really bored and tired of that and the movie i think financially would have suffered if you had done a retread and and it's it's a nice fresher take on the character and the whole story itself yeah and i I don't mind the fact that yeah there's kind of that vietnam war undertone where it does play a part in how this movie and its characters unfold and, and handle certain um, situations. And thank God it's not about someone trying to go find oil. Thank God. <laughs> um, but um, this movie, in my opinion, um, I still think it, it has a similar problem to the 76 film in that there should have, there was incredible opportunity to include kong battling more creatures and again we just don't get that here uh yes we got a a really good um skull crawler fight at the end and you get that brief sequence of him fighting a couple smaller skull crawlers in about the middle of the film but this film really missed out on an opportunity to you know give us more of that and then also to even show a few more creatures um I just I feel like again another Kong film missed out on an incredible opportunity that could have made itself a little bit more entertaining. Yeah, maybe you could have argued it would have made it even more goofy, but it's like look these this is what these movies are about. You know, these these aren't movies that are necessarily going to win you best picture awards mm-hmm. or anything like that. You know, these are films for people to escape for a few hours and to have fun. And why not give them that fun? 
And I have a problem with that again with this film. There's just not enough Kong fighting other creatures, let alone just a variety of creatures. Um, I, I just think that um, the film drags in a few spots as well. Um, there could have been more going on. Uh, there's think- some philosophical ponderances at points too that I just don't think are – uh, really necessary either, and it's still a good film. I like it, but I don't think it's it's as good as what some say it is. Yeah, and and I and I mentioned this about this too, but I think with this movie, it just kind of dives more to the island itself. It just seems like there, um, the director I forget his name who. Uh, made the movie that I think he was trying to show more of the island itself and trying to make it more of a character and just to kind of show uh, everything like the daily life of Skull Island here. You know, you got the villagers and then you have John C. Riley's uh, character when he's been uh, kind of stranded on this island for many years since world war ii like 30 years just about i think yeah and um kind of get the backstory of him and everything else that's happening on this island too so it's it's just kind of kind of breathing life into the island itself here it's more than just focusing on khan a lot even though it's you know it's supposed to be a Kong. I mean, <laughs> I mean you've got the main building with Khan's name in it first, and then you got Skull Island second after his name. But, I mean, probably kind of trying to mix the two together, kind of trying to understand not only Khan, but Skull Island as well. Well, in, in order to do that, though, you need to have fauna. <laughs> and the fauna representation, I would say, is underrepresented in the film. Uh, I don't mind the giant insects. And I've said before, giant insects in certain films, to me, are kind of a cheap out uh, for like a monster film. And I, I love the skull crawlers. I think the creation and, uh, of those is incredible. The problem is, is that there's just not enough variety here. And like I said, there's not a like having Kong battle even one or two other animals. Yeah, he steps on an octopus, but I don't even count that. But mm-hmm. um, just having Kong battle a couple other creatures and showing us more fauna i i think could have helped that because the the execution of the life uh, of everyday skull island i would say looks with some areas of the island more or less pretty quiet like i feel like this version of skull island for the most part i could probably walk across and probably be okay like I, I feel safer on this version of skull island than i do the 33 film and um and 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 even um some of the other versions and especially peter peter jackson's skull island is like wanting to kill you with every step um but even the the 76 version was I would say the 76 version is the safest skull island but this yeah, is a very you, close second yeah because you don't 
hardly have anything present. There's nothing on there other Skull than Kong except, and that except one for giant the, snake. Except, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and a bunch of oil. Yeah. <laughs> but so, it's, it's not a bad film. Yeah. I just don't think it's this grand spectacle that many say it is. I like it for the most part, but it's not my favorite of the MonsterVerse. And it's fine. It's fine. Mm-hmm. So... Let's jump on to uh, 2021's Godzilla vs. Kong, which this was the movie I've always thought about for many years that like it should at least happen, kind of redo um, or remake the uh, the 1962 version of King Kong vs. Godzilla. And fortunately enough, we get exactly what I was hoping for in Godzilla versus Khan here and with everything I mean just kind of uh, even though it has some of its uh, issues here and there it's a really entertaining film it kind of basically delivers what it's meant to do I, I'm more or less going to harken back to a lot of what I said when we originally discussed this film almost two years ago. And that is when I first saw this movie, I really was like, oh, crap, I don't think I am enjoying this. And I'm like, this isn't what I had hoped it would be. And I've seen the movie like 27 times since then. And yeah, I've grown to like it an awful lot with repeated viewings. With all of that being said, however, I will still say this. This is not the Godzilla vs. Kong movie I would have made. Um, I think this movie is too silly in many respects. Um, I was hoping for something more serious, but I guess I should have tossed that out the window after I realized King of the Monsters sort of took more of a Toho-esque uh, route because the 2014 film is one of my all-time favorite uh, Godzilla films. And I one of the many reasons why I like that movie is that it takes the subject matter more seriously. And um, on some level, I do like the silliness of this film. Because, again, it's a giant lizard versus a giant ape with a few other goofy creatures mixed in. You know, you some would argue, and I think to some degree, rightfully so, you need to make it silly. But that's not what I was hoping for, even though, again, I've grown to like it more with each viewing. Um, mm-hmm. I still have issues with it. Again, I still – Every time I watch it, there is still a small part of me that is disappointed with the tone of the film and the direction it overall went with its story. Um, I'm still a little disappointed that especially the ending fight is as short as it is between both Godzilla and Kong. I was hoping for something longer considering these are the two biggest screen icons of all time, arguably. Um, I have an issue with the fact that Godzilla looks like an absolute wuss uh, against Mega Godzilla. I mean, that's fine if you want Mega Godzilla to be more powerful than Godzilla. I have no problem with that. But the fact that Godzilla just continues to get his butt handed to him, no, I, I have an issue with that. 
and the fact too that I think uh, some of the comedy is just a wee bit too much at points and Godzilla is not quite in it as much as I believe he should um, and that's quite a laundry list again to me that doesn't damn the movie but it hurts it a little bit and I still I can, find it entertaining it's still I, a fun film to watch but it's not what I was hoping for I can sort of understand with how they sort of went with the direction because a lot of people relate to Khan more than they do with oh, yeah. Godzilla because with apes and humans they're sort of yeah. you know, related in that regard so and I really like how they expanded the lore of Khan more where he's like belong like kind of see um kind of the backstory of hollow earth hollow uh, yeah hollow earth and where he actually came from in this with huge, all the titans actually yeah with this huge mountain kind of with his actual layer of his ancestors and kind of this battle between him and Khan, uh, Godzilla, uh, for that matter. And I just sort of like how they expanded more of the lore of not only Khan, but Hollow Earth and kind of exploring Hollow Earth practically for the very first time and kind of seeing how it, it, how it sort of looks. And I would like to see a more very of safe hollow earth, by the way. <laughs> and I would like to see more of hollow earth in the, the upcoming uh, sequel to the movie here, which fortunately is going to be coming out in actually about a year. Uh, I think a, a year this coming Wednesday, if I'm correct. So we yeah, got not, not too far, not too far away from it. <laughs> Here's the funny thing about that is that you would think I would be really excited about it, but I'm not. I mean, I'm apathetic. I really am. I'm apathetic. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Like, I'm not – it wasn't like with all these MonsterVerse films when I was getting really excited. Uh, but for me, it's like, oh, we got another Godzilla and Kong movie. Okay. Like, <laughs> I'm guessing you're getting that uh, Marvel fatigue after Endgame. <laughs> I got tired of Marvel like back in 2013 or 2014. Um, <laughs> Marvel has bigger issues, but um, I, I don't know. Maybe there could be some oversaturation, even though it's only been four movies. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. Maybe there's a part of me too that, and I don't know, maybe it could be because I am busy in my most of my day-to-day -day life that it's just hard for me to like concentrate on something like that like I used to when I didn't have kids or something like that. Maybe that's part of it. Um, you know, maybe part of it too is I'm just older and it's harder for me to get excited about things, uh, which sucks. I'm not going to lie because I remember being a kid and like – Again, like you and I have talked about several times on this podcast, when we saw that New Year's Eve promo for the 98 Godzilla movie and how, oh, yeah. like, pissed our pants happy we were about yeah. that. I mean, <laughs> it. you know, I'm, I'm old as shit now. And I, like, and I've thought about this many times over the last, like, five or ten years. I'm like, 
it's hard for me to get very excited about things anymore. And it's because I've lived enough life that it's like, okay. I mean, <laughs> I would say the one thing that is really getting me excited recently is the upcoming Super Mario Brothers movie since with us growing up with that video game for God knows how long is like after many, many years since the last uh, movie made back in the <laughs> early 90s, 93, actually, I think. Um, but yeah, that's pro probably one of the only things I'm looking forward to <laughs> this year. Right now, side note, if for, for both Lincoln and I, it's Creed 3, 65, Shazam 2, and Super Mario. By the way, I was gonna I was gonna ask you uh, when when these times if if you've uh, uh, gotten the chance to see the uh, the third uh, Creed movie. Not yet, no. But but I know I want to get around to at least seeing the '65 movie, and maybe one of these times, um, if you want to do some some kind of discussion on uh, that movie. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you okay? Here's the thing: we, we were talking about how I'm an old fart and how uh, it's hard for me to get excited about things. When you initially told me about this odd number of months ago, and you were saying it's like Planet of Dinosaurs, yeah, that's what got me excited. I'm like, <laughs> no way! Like they actually are remaking this obscure early '80s dinosaur movie. Like I'm going, yeah. oh, I don't think it's that, but. <laughs> it, it's that's it's what got of, me initially excited. It's sort of like Planet of the Dinosaurs in a way when it as far as the premise with um like you have a person or people in this uh, spaceship going on to a planet, but this one here where they somehow go back sixty five million years ago on Earth. Yeah, I'm well the other planet was not, it was like Earth, but it wasn't Earth. Yeah, uh, and I and again, I don't know. I, I I don't know if this is a similar premise or not. But yeah, back to Kong. Yeah, <laughs> or Godzilla versus Kong here. Um, but with this one, I sort in the back of my mind when this was announced, like I sort of had a gut feeling that there has to be like a main another main villain to have these two sort of team up because it's like with how King Kong vs. Godzilla was like I don't think something like that isn't gonna really fly by in this day and age it's like there has like with with the recent trend over the years when it came to these remade or rebooted movies or remakes of some of these versus movies just that a crossover that or that like there's always another villain in there to where that you have these that other uh forces that were kind of going against one another all of a sudden team up and uh defeat this common villain in a way it's like i in my gut feeling that there's gonna have to be something for both Godzilla and Khan sort of teaming up to defeat in a way. And that's what we get with a uh, 
a pretty good designed uh, Mecha Godzilla way. And as far as some of the, uh, as far as my take on Mecha Godzilla here, I think it's one of the better looking Mecha Godzillas and more of a realistic version in a way compared to the other uh, Mecha Godzillas made by Toho in a way. And and it's a really OP'd <laughs> Mecha Godzilla Very. too. <laughs> Very OP'd. Well, the thing that saddens me about Godzilla versus Kong in terms of how it was going to turn out, first and foremost, some asshole already spoiled the fact that Mechagodzilla very likely was going to be in it anyways. Um, and the trailers, to some degree, very quickly, though, tease that. Um, but not only that, we've had this history of other films. We had Freddy versus Jason. We've had two Alien versus Predator films. And I'm sure there may have been like one or two other films in there somewhere that I'm not remembering. But yeah, there was never a clear-cut winner. Never really was. You could argue like, yeah, in a sense, maybe Jason won and Freddy versus Jason. But then you have the Freddy head like winking at the audience and then laughing. Um you know the the alien versus predator you have the queen alien drowning but then the predator warrior himself dies moments later alien versus predator 2 both are taken out in a nuclear blast um you know and i remember even saying this months before the film was even released i remember saying the ending is going to be uh obscure and then at very likely, yes, they will come together to team up to fight something else because they're not going to – even though, again, you could argue Godzilla won both, and I do believe that's true. I think the film to some degree makes that relatively clear enough, especially in the first fight. The second fight, yeah, the stomping on the chest and walking away, it's pretty clear Godzilla won that, but you knew – it was not going to be like one ends up dead while the other one walks away. Like mm-hmm. that's not how it is. And we've seen this time before with the other movies I mentioned earlier. And the fact too, that similar things have happened in the Toho Godzilla films as well. And on the one hand, part of me was okay with that because I do like both, even though I was heavily rooting for Godzilla, uh, in this one. Um, but it, at the same time, I'm sort of sick of that whole thing being played out because it's so predictable at this point. And I understand why, because you have big fan bases, passionate fan bases of both. You don't want to really piss off one or the other. I get that. But yeah, I, I mean, don't know. And then with a lot of articles saying, oh, who's going who's gonna to win? Who's going to like who's going to die and all that stuff. It's like, let's just be realistic. I mean, if you've seen a lot of the movies over the years with the same scenario, pitting one against another with popular IPs, like what you said with Freddy vs. Jason, Alien vs. Predator, so on and so forth, it just doesn't really turn out with a clear winner or one of them dying off in that regard so it's just going to be that way when it comes to these versus 
movies nowadays when it comes to uh, pitting popular IPs one with one another. It's going to be the same way when someday down the road when Toho finally decides to pick Godzilla up against Gamera. Whenever that's going to be, who knows? <laughs> I remember yelling like what we were talking about. Oh, this site was talking about who's going to win and we're screaming like... There's not going to be a clear-cut winner. Stop it. Like yeah. they're going to they're both going to live. They're both going to team up against something. It's just a question of who. Even though we kind of had an inkling it was going to be Mecha Godzilla, we weren't 100% sure. We're like you know, yes, it would be nice if there was a clear-cut winner. And like I said, yes, to some degree the film more or less says Godzilla did win, but it's not Kong would have died without the 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 main characters using the heave to jumpstart him again, um, mm. but it's just like, come on, guys, <laughs> let's 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 get real here. That's I know you're trying to maybe build up hype or something. Stop it. Like let's yeah. be real here. But <laughs> yeah. Oh well. So let's just kind of. Um... Let's just kind of speed things up a little bit, but also backtrack a little bit and kind of get into a couple of the uh, the Toho versions of a uh, couple of King Kong movies, starting out with uh, King Kong vs. Godzilla, where uh, sort of the first bout between the two popular uh, IPs, uh, where they come across one another's past paths for the first time here and it's also kind of an you know you've sort of gotten our takes from it in the past um where we've uh just you know we've recently delved into it a little bit in our year end here just a couple months ago um as far as both the american and the japanese versions um here and uh, sort of the goofiness with with that film, both the U.S. and Japanese versions. But as far as the two differences between the two, um, the Japanese one I think is a little bit better, and you don't get like kind of that uh, ridiculous uh, science guy in the U.S. version. You know, with the white hair <laughs> and everything. Um, Don't be a Dr. Arnold Johnson. Yeah. And this one with the Japanese version, you get more of what's going on, what's and how it's being built up into. Because in some instances with the U.S. version, uh, the film is kind of cut in ways where it's like some things just don't quite match up with uh, one another. But also, it sort of makes sense with the U.S. version to kind of tell the story from the perspective of some of these uh, TV reporters <laughs> or you and whatever uh, kind of reporters they were. But with the Japanese version, it lays the groundwork to how things uh, go in their own way and so on and so forth where it makes a lot more sense in that way and I sort of after seeing the Japanese version 
for the, literally for the first time after so many years, it I tend to like more that that version more than the U.S. version a bit more. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, the, the the film is very interesting. Both versions are. Uh, the one thing that is pretty universal amongst uh, fans of these types of movies is that, unfortunately, the Kong suit is awful. <laughs> um, it, it's not made. It's not made very well. And um, I would say the same thing with arm extensions in various scenes. I would say the same thing when it came to the King Kong escapes um, suit. <sighs> It, 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 I would argue it's a bit better, but yeah, it still has problems, especially when that suit gets in water. Uh, that's where that suit really fails. Particularly, particularly um, the head part. <laughs> it just sort of looks yeah. goofy in a way. Whereas in the body, like it, it droops more and it contours of the actor's yeah. body more. Whereas, whereas but, the head for, for this film here, it's, I've, tend to like it more as far as a head version goes but yeah when it comes to like the water scenes with the suit it's the same way when it comes to like king kong escapes suit where it just does not look <laughs> quite as good yeah uh, king kong versus godzilla is is basically a comedy decent mm. movie i i think both versions. Um, I, I think when we discussed, uh, when we had our year-end discussion here a few months back, I think I said that the Japanese film is better, but I think the American film has a better viewing experience um, for people. Um, you know, I, I think if if you're a fan of this, both have to be watched, obviously. I mean, anytime mm -hmm. you get two different versions of a Godzilla film, you should watch both. Yeah. Um, but yeah, th as far as King Kong goes in King Kong versus Godzilla, it is fairly King Kong centric. But I would argue it handles Godzilla better than Godzilla versus Kong did. You get more mm -hmm. Godzilla sequences in this movie than you do the twenty one film. Yeah. Um, but Kong, yes, yeah, still is more or less the the main character of the two, and his representation is fairly good. It, it in many respects is sort of almost a carbon copy of of the 33 uh mm. you got the natives and all that except this time they had a sleeping berry juice uh, and then also on a different exploited island exploited again and and then on a different island here besides skull island here yeah um, i'm not entirely sure why they uh do a different island here i'm not there was probably some sort of uh reason behind it but i'm guessing that they wanted something a little bit different who knows um but yeah it's it's a um pretty comedic with you know the human characters uh in king kong versus godzilla here and also again just like godzilla versus khan you don't really have a clear winner at the very end of uh of this movie you don't know who actually wins or loses or obviously no one dies <laughs> in here um you may think not seeing godzilla 
at the very end. Some people might think, oh, he died. That's not really the case here in that regard. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's a pretty decent uh, film for its time. It would have been nice if they would have done it a bit more serious than just having it be more comedic um, in a way. And then like what Ken said, um, with there being two versions of the film, it's better to watch both versions to kind of uh, uh, kind of get your take and viewing experience to see the differences between the U.S. version and as well as the original Japanese version of this film. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it's, yeah. Um. So, why don't we uh, try to wrap up with uh, Con Escapes here, and then after that, kind of give our take as far as the legacy of Con here, and then just kind of wrap up uh, after that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Uh, oh, okay. Oh, you go. You go ahead. Um, King Kong Escapes, a film that when I first – the first few times I saw it, I was ho-hum about it. Um, I Part of me going in wasn't necessarily expecting anything grand to begin with, uh, but because it was King Kong, I was hoping maybe it would be. Um, but I knew for a while, I was like, eh, you know, it's – okay it's cartoony it's goofy but then like i've mentioned numerous times before when i had a resurgence in my godzilla fandom here a while back um i got to a point to where i could appreciate more of the childish and goofier films within the series um and i've gotten to the point more with king kong escapes that yeah even though it's a film that has a lot of problems with it it's still a really good fun um film and um mm -hmm. yeah i i just um yeah i i really um yeah i i really uh, <laughs> uh enjoy enjoy it yeah and sort sort of the the storytelling that they have for this you know with the element x and then you have this um oh this what's this Trying to trying to think of a term for this or name, kind of this organization, in a way, trying to retrieve Element X, and then using this uh, mechanic machine version of King Kong, in a way, which is pretty interesting, and just everything leading up to it, with the final bout between both. Con and Mechanicon up toward, you know, up to the uh, uh, Tokyo Tower. There, it's it's a pretty interesting movie with a pretty um, um, uh, unique storytelling with uh, pretty good characters. You know, you got Akira Takarada, Linda Miller, and then. Um, I forget, always forget the one older uh, guy's name plays uh, Dr. Sanomoto. Yeah. Um, he's always pretty interesting in his own right. I always like, I always like 
to see him playing as a villain because I think he always does a good villain uh, characters in his own right. But uh, yeah, uh, King Kong Escapes, it's a pretty unique uh, film. I'm not sure if there was really any need <laughs> to really make the the movie i'm not entirely sure but it's a, it's a is there a need to make any it's, movie <laughs> it's a but it's a pretty good entry into uh the king kong uh universe yeah it, it's a fun movie i mean that's yeah i mean it, it's a fun movie it does what it's supposed to do it entertains so, um, yeah, why don't we just kind of uh, touch upon the legacy here and then just sort of uh, close out. But uh, so, yeah, as far as far as the legacy of Khan, I would say the, the obvious thing I would have to say is that if King Kong wasn't made in 1933, like if he wasn't made, then you wouldn't have like a lot of these other monster movies especially Godzilla probably not have been made to begin with cuz with Godzilla you know with Tomoyuki Tanaka you know he probably it's like he's got he gotten some inspiration to make Godzilla because of the 1933 King Kong movie in that he wanted to make his own sort of monster movie uh but he just didn't know what to do until he figured out what he wanted as far as what kind of monster movie he wanted to make so without king khan we wouldn't have gotten anything today we probably obviously we wouldn't have been here <laughs> talking about the whole kaiju genre if it wasn't for king khan it, wouldn't be really much of a uh, kaiju genre anyway. <laughs> yeah, I mean, King Kong is arguably one of the most popular screen icons of all time, despite the fact that his library is a pale imitation to what Godzilla has. Um, but there's a reason why Kong is so very popular. I mean, Toho so badly was trying to get in on, on Godzilla to, to have him fight and there's a reason why they wanted to do even more King Kong movies with the light license um uh oh <laughs> looks like uh Kent got frozen up here cause uh uh his uh, bar <laughs> is a bit uh not good in a way. I'm probably going to have to send him a message here. I'm guessing his uh, e uh, internet might have went down. Uh, uh, oh, let's see here. And there he is. <laughs> Looks like uh, we lost you there. Oh. Well, that. Oh. I was. Oh, it said. Oh, network error. Yeah, because. Okay, uh, well. Yeah, because your audio is starting to go bad, and then all of a sudden your screen just froze. 
Oh, well, that sucks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but now you're back online. I was about to message you, message you and then all of a sudden you came back. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> uh, so what was the last thing you heard me say? I have no idea. <laughs> well, I guess let me just start from the beginning again, if I can remember. I mean, there's a reason why King Kong is one of the most popular screen icons of all time and um like you said without kong there very likely is no godzilla i mean tomoyuki tanaka and toho um were very much trying to make their own king kong so to speak and Mm -hmm. you could even maybe dub godzilla the king kong of the east um this character who started 90 years ago in a movie um continues to thrive on granted yes some of that is through the result of reboots and remakes and and all that too that definitely does uh play a big part in in keeping a character alive and well within the relevant consciousness of of contemporary um uh audiences and all that but um yeah, I, I mean, this this character is a very endearing character. I think part of it is not just because the movie itself was a major turning point in motion picture making, which that certainly is a part of it. Um, part of it, too, is entertainment value. The fact that this character lives on a very unique island where time has frozen of, over the last 66 million years um, – and as a result, you get that part of our brain that is very intrigued and entertained by all the weird creatures and fights that happen on that island. Uh, but not only that, um, I think to some degree on a very uh, deeper level, uh, I'm going to play uh, – I'm going to wax philosophical here in that I think – to some degree, we see a little bit of Kong in ourselves. The fact that uh, it, obviously humans and primates are very, very closely related and um, that to some degree we wish we were Kong on some level. Maybe we don't want to live on an island with a bunch of other things that want to kill us 24-7, yeah. <laughs> but we sort of feel for Kong. We understand him and i think again even more so in the peter jackson version than Mm -hmm. most of the other versions of of kong and um yeah and this character very much is a um on a small level a mirror of who we are uh, as a species and as individuals but at the same time too there is this level of of sadness um i guess too on a deeper level the king kong story especially if you're talking more about the 33 type both the 33 and peter jackson type and maybe even the 76 one there is sort of this sad commentary on humanity itself that humanity is so intrigued with money and greed that it's willing to exploit other living other living beings including beings that are very closely related to man himself and the result is always because of man's greed hubris um uh tendency to be violent and tendency to be afraid of what he does not understand the result always ends up in death 
of the creature that is innocent. Kong is an innocent creature um, in a lot of these films. Mm-hmm. Um, he did not ask to be taken off his island nor to be exploited in the fashion that he was in some of these films. And yet, sadly, because of, like I said, man's greed, um, hubris, afraid of not understanding uh, anything beyond his own world so to speak uh and and man's stupidity let's just call it out it's man's stupidity they kill and they kill him and like i said it's one of the very sad things that i get um from kong when you do the stereotypical kong story that you know he's going to end up dead. Mm-hmm. And that's why the Peter Jackson film, I think, illustrates what the 33 film was wanting to do, uh, but just couldn't do, or maybe in a roundabout way didn't want to do either, perhaps. Uh, that's why I think Peter Jackson's Kong, for me, looms as. I'm just going to say the M word masterpiece. I think Peter Jackson's Kong is not just the best Kong. I think it is one of the more fantastic films made of our lifetime. And sadly, it's a film that I don't think will ever get recognized as such because first and foremost, it's a remake. Mm-hmm. Uh, second of all, it, it, it would be what? Uh, one two three four five six it would be the seventh if you include son of kong the seventh kong related movie that was Mm -hmm. made at the time of its release so it's not unique in that sense either um but like i said it fleshes everything out better Mm -hmm. and this character very much in a way is us it is us should we not have civilization that we are living beings we want to live and live happily and peacefully but you push the right buttons we're gonna go ape on you and um i think there's that i think it's it's a multi-layer aspect as to why this character is so endearing and has lasted for so long. I mean, it's, it's the same reason why comic book characters, many of them, are still popular decades later. And then when it comes to the, the 33, 76, 86, as well as the, the 2005 uh, films here, that there is also a recurring theme is that Khan uh, always tends to uh, end up being a, a tragic character as well with a lot of things just sort of happening to him in a way that he just does not deserve those the type of things that are brought upon to him in that regard because like yeah he just ends up being a tragic a tragic character in in the end but when it comes to like the monsterverse version it sort of leans into that way, but more of a less little. like an anti-hero or a hero in a way. Yeah, I wouldn't say he's not really anti-hero in the MonsterVerse. I would say he he comes off more hero. Um, but 
I think with Kong too. Um, oh, I think I forgot it. Uh, that's not good. Um, I think with see if I can try to like bring it back to memory here. I think with Kong as well. Um, there. Motherfucker, I'm, I'm going to kick myself. It'll probably come to mind like as soon as we get off. Um, I think, too, there is this level of being an underdog as well, even though, as Carl Denham in both the 33 and 05 films said, he was a king of his, of his world. While that's I guess you could argue is true, obviously. Um, he, when he's moved to New York, it's this foreign place. He has no idea. And again, the, the 2005 film illustrates this so much better in that when he escapes from the theater, you see him – like you see this look of, of like astonishment on mm-hmm. his face like what is happening people are crashing into him and he's backing off and he's like he's not violent initially he's like what the hell is going on here what is this place mm-hmm. and it's only after like a number of cars smash into him there's all this blaring noise and stuff from people screaming and cars Lots and trains and all this and... other stuff yeah that he eventually becomes agitated but even then he spends a lot of time running away He's trying to probably think he can run back home, mm-hmm. uh, even though he has no clue as to where he is. And it's there's there's that underdog tale that maybe there's something deeper to be said there where, yeah, in this world that you've lived in for who knows how long that Kong lived on Skull Island, that when you th- you're thrown into a different environment, you're, you're – you're the alien. You're the underdog because you don't understand this other world, this culture, and what these other beings are capable of doing when you're in their house. And um, I think, you know, like I said, there's maybe something deeper to be said there that I can't uh, maybe figure out at this point in time that maybe with more time and thought maybe I could figure something out or maybe something somebody's already written it down somewhere. I would like to know, yeah. but um, <laughs> I, I mean, there's just, um, there's something there that's unique too about being out of your element, the, out of your own, really not of your own force like because he was dragged there he didn't ask to be taken there and And i think that's sort of what that tragic character element sort of comes into play is that things are being brought on to him that he doesn't really deserve or just doesn't quite understand that sort of thing kind of comes into play in that regard and king kong again uh Again, we're kind of referring more to the stereotypical 33 type of story. It's a love story on some level mm-hmm. as well. And again, I know I keep bashing it, but again, I still think the Peter Jackson movie does it better. I think you see it more in the Jackson film, this mm-hmm. love story. And there's something to be said about that too. It, it, there's this love tale, o- almost even a love triangle, even you could argue, because Jack Driscoll is involved. Hey, mm-hmm. 
Tomoyuki Tanaka and the guys at Gojira stole that from from this yeah. movie. Um, <laughs> but um, not Peter Jackson's version. But <laughs> um, but I think maybe there's something to be said about that too. It's this love story, and for me personally, and. Um, I think about it more over the last 10 years because Jason and I grew up with a cat that uh, we were best buds with and we really loved. And it, I see it more now than I did um, back then in um, 2005 where I look at a little bit of that love that Anne has with Kong, like I said earlier, as love between a person and a beloved pet. And I, I think that's part of the reason, too, for me, when I view that part of the movie from maybe the middle part and especially towards the end as being very depressing because it's like, you know, you, this this individual you love so much. I mean, my cat thankfully didn't get killed, but um, he died um, living a long life. But you lose that individual you love so much, and it's heartbreaking to see them die. And I think for me, as I watch that Peter Jackson movie, I I see a little bit of that uh, playing out as well. And that's also a little bit of the reason why I find it maybe a little more tragic than I did even in 2005, even though I, I remember sitting in that theater crying a little bit quietly when I saw that uh, in the theater. But uh, And I remember my heart pounding when we were getting towards that Empire State Building thing and the planes are coming in, and then James Newton Howard's music swells with the drums like, doo, 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 because you know he's going to die. You just know, and you mm-hmm. don't want to be sad, but you know – very likely you will because Jackson is showing this is a more sophisticated representation of Kong. Mm. And so getting back to the whole pet thing, I think it's it's been a little bit harder for me to view that ending more because it's like it's like that connection you have with a pet and it just it fucking sucks. Yeah. But yeah, uh Kong, he's got quite the legacy you know hard to believe it's 90 years just i i think uh with uh, many more years probably gonna see more con movies uh being made i don't know if 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 they might have something planned for the the 100th anniversary when that comes 10 years from now hard to believe um but uh yeah at least right now they're gonna have you know, both Khan and Godzilla back in a sequel next year. Um, kind of uh, like to see how that's going to uh, play out. Uh, but if they're going to have another villain come into play like they did with uh, Mechagodzilla here. So we'll just uh, have to find out in about uh, a year from uh, this coming wednesday when uh yeah that movie and, comes out yeah and i mean like i said and i said it many times in the lead up to godzilla versus kong i'm definitely going for godzilla i don't know i, I just love godzilla more i can't explain it but i do yeah. love kong 
Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm look, I'm wearing a Kong shirt. I even have shirts similar too. to what Jason's got. I've got a <laughs> couple other Kong shirts up in my closet here. And so I love Kong. Uh, King Kong is definitely still a very special character to me. I mean, uh, as long as I can, I will go continue to see the movies and mm-hmm. and support this character and, and all that. And so, yeah. Same here. So, <laughs> With all that being said, here in a couple weeks on March 25th, we will be doing, uh, once again, a commentary on Son of Kong. That'll be a short movie. I think the movie's like 75 minutes or something like that. 69 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) I knew it. I knew it. (laughs) It's it's pretty short. And... um, yeah, it'll be an interesting watch. Mm-hmm. So join Definitely. us for that in a couple Saturdays. And just to uh, touch upon it uh, for uh, the last time here before we sign off, um, if you're watching us for the first time or if you've been watching us from time to time, if you uh, see a subscribe button down below the video, wherever you're watching us, make sure to hit that and also smash the uh, the like button as well. And uh you can also find us everywhere, uh, right on our uh, link tree page for slash Daikaiju Network. Uh, you can find us on the following video platforms, obviously YouTube. We're also on Twitch, Rumble, Facebook Live, and as well as Odyssey. And we're also on uh, audio platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, as well as TuneIn. And you can find both versions of uh, our audio or video uh, episodes at our own website at daikaijunetwork.com and with that thank you so much for listening or watching us and we will be back in a couple weeks with a commentary on Sun of Kong alright see you guys next time <laughs>